Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. Speed throws on the run. Touchdown! the NFL, Bill O'Brien has been fired. Houston Texans head coach and de facto general manager Bill O'Brien has been fired. The Texans have fired their head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien after an 0-4 start this season. So welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. You heard it in the intro, OB is gone. I'm bringing in one of H-Town's best to come and talk it through with me, Jason Bredock from ESPN 97.5 show. Late hits, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for joining. I think this is your third time joining us now, Jason. So um, probably one of the biggest, you know, one of the the biggest moments. We saw all three former Texans coaches. Now all three of them fired, ironically, after Monday. The last two both in year seven. Where do you think, or where do you think of the timing of this move from Calvin there? Hey, I think it made a lot of sense. After the season starts off 0-3, you get that Vikings game. Vikings dead last in time of possessions. Texans 31st in time of possessions, second in the last. Uh, as you mentioned, you got Kubiak, you got Dom Capers. The recipe was all there for the disaster. Returning the NRG. Uh, fans in the stands. They didn't sell all the tickets as well. So uh, definitely that factors into it. When Cal McNair starts uh, and the McNair family starts having their pockets get hit because of the lack of product on the field, then I, I think that expedites it as well. But when the Vikings are dead last in time of possession, is the only team worse than the Texans, and they go out there and control the ball for 36-plus minutes and the Texans for only 24 minutes, then the writing was on the wall with this. Gary Kubiak, uh, excuse me, Bill O'Brien kept accumulating power and throwing everybody under the bus uh, as he just wanted to feed that ego. And it finally got to the point he, he had no one else left to throw under the bus. And he was so far over his head with this that the 0-4 start just pointed out what everybody already knew this entire offseason. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I mean, the, the ticket thing, I, I, I put that on Twitter a number of times because it's easy for a, an ownership not to make changes when you've got a stadium full of fans booing. Um, but when you've got, you know, 13,300 tickets that you can't sell because uh, you don't have that rollover in season tickets, I think potentially that was one of, if not the biggest alarm bells for the, the you know, for the ownership of Cal and um, his mother and you know we don't quite know how Cal's going to run this team but he's gone early uh, with this with, with this to get ahead hopefully in the coaching uh, carousel but was there a moment for you in terms of anything that you saw in the lead up to this you thought this was going to was going to be the, the week that did it or did you or you know anything in the players mentioned or any commentary it seemed like confidence was low JJ's been put pissed you know, Deshaun didn't, you know, necessarily defend him or Tim Kelly at any point in any of the media availability. No, you're absolutely right. I think uh, after the game, going into the week, I felt like if they lost to the Minnesota Vikings, there would be an opportunity for the Texans to move on for Bill O'Brien. 
But when I saw I saw a video of the Sean's press conference when he was talking uh, with hardly any emotions, <laughs> you know, talking about the difference in the play calling now that O'Brien took back over and paraphrasing basically said there was no difference. I didn't see anything different. And just right then, I'm like, that's the nail in the coffin. Because what Bill O'Brien had done in Houston is, again, throw everybody under the time something went wrong, ship out Godsey, get rid of the cat guy, get rid of Rick Smith and Brian Gain. It was always somebody else's fault, and he was always more enamored with accumulating power uh, and, and feed his ego than fielding the best football team and doing what's best for the Houston Texans. And so it, it's ironic and maybe even funny that what led to Bill O'Brien's downfall with the Houston Texans is, is that he gave two other people too much power for his well-being. One is once Deshaun Watson got that $40 million a year contract, the power in the organization shift from Bill O'Brien to Deshaun Watson. Once you're committed to that type of money as an owner, you're going to make sure to appease your first ever franchise quarterback, something they haven't had since the organization came into existence in 2002. So Deshaun at that point of getting that new contract took away so much power from Bill O'Brien. Then the other guy, Jack Easterby, this is a guy who was a chaplain with the Chiefs, a character coach with the Patriots, and now he's the right-hand man to the owner for uh, the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien's out the way. Easterby, almost in the same manner which Bill O'Brien tired of Brian Gain, who was supposed to be his right-hand man and kicked him out the door in one year. Jack Easterby did the exact same thing to Bill O'Brien. Bill brings him in. He gets his rise to power, feeds that ego. And uh, uh, within within a year, almost, of Easterby coming to town, almost parallel statements to the owner about how he soured on Bill O'Brien reportedly. Yeah, I think... I mean, if you touch on this, we'll come back to the Deshaun Mungs. I think Easterby's a topic we need to cover, right? And there, and I've said it a number of times. There's something about that guy that I don't like. I I don't think he should be in the position he's in now. Like fair fair play, you never want to take a dollar in another man's pocket, and he's you know he's made a career for himself. But I think that's less to do with his ability and his knowledge about football and how to build a winning program, but to do with the weak position that the Houston Texans were in. Now, when you think about this I, I I wrote an article yesterday on podcasttexans.com put either. I think just as it was important to move on Mobrian, I think we ha- if we're going to truly move on and use this opportunity to rebase and reset and reestablish a franchise and a winning culture that we've not done, you know, since two thousand and two pretty much. They need to get rid of Easterby as well. Yeah, yeah, with Jack Easterby. I mean, you're talking about a guy. This is such an unusual situation. You're talking about a guy who was a chaplain, a a character coach, and now he's basically overseeing. If you look at Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicles' uh, latest article, he talks in there about how Jack Easterby is going to be leaned on a lot to, to help pitch, pick this next general manager and head coach. Jack Easterby, 
a guy who was a character coach and a chaplain. I mean, this might be one of the most insane stories of 2020. And that's saying something with all that's happened in 2020, that uh, a pastor basically is now going to decide one of 32 teams, 32 NFL organizations will decide their future by help putting pivotal input in to Cal McNair's ear on the next general manager and head coach. I'm dumbfounded by it. It's the silliest thing I've ever seen. And the Texans are a laughing stock of the organization to be in this position today. I think if Cal gets, you know, drawn in by used to be in that, you know, and that report is true. And I suppose we've not got any reason to assume it's not. But if Cal does get drawn in by that, I think we've got a we've got a real danger of putting this franchise back even further. When I think if you look back at all the sort of sliding door moments of you like of the last 18 months, you know, from the Brian Gain firing for, you know, the, the botched attempt to get Nick Cursario. And then we didn't, you know, go back out on the hunt and try and bring in a proper GM and then bring it, then bringing in uh, O'Brien and giving them the additional responsibility, which is too much for any man to do. And then you saw the desperate moves and we'll come on to that. And that was, you know, a big part of what he led to his downfall and why the team's so poor at the minute. But I, I think Cal's biggest task right now is not to be drawn in by, you know, a guy who is effectively a religious-based faith, you know, life coach. And we need, this is a football team at the end of the day, and we need genuine football people to run the operation if we want a chance to, you know, to put, you know, right the wrongs that we've, you know, dis, played a disservice to Deshaun Watson, not giving him all the pieces he should have had or the coaching he should have had in the last year. And I think bringing the GM at this point is going to be almost important, if not more important than getting the head coach appointment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The biggest story, and you would you would logically think that the biggest story right now for the Houston Texans is who's going to be that next general manager? Who's going to be the next head coach? But until you do a full house cleaning of all the issues in the Texans organization, this team will still be the laughingstock of the NFL, which they have been wholeheartedly for over a year, year and a half, possibly, since the Bill O'Brien absolute power reign took over. They fired their salary cap guy, Chris Olsen, who had done such a tremendous job to get them in the situation they were. They moved on for Brian Gain and Rick Smith and a ton of their scouts. It, it, you just look at it. I mean, it's a ton of their talented scouts because O'Brien didn't like it that they were quote-unquote Rick Smith guys, and these were talented scouts. So from your scouting department to your coaches to your general manager, you were bare inside of the Texans organization. And now the way you come back from that is to get another guy. After you bought completely in on everything Bill O'Brien had to sell, you're going to go to another guy who is so underqualified for the positions you're putting him in. And this all speaks to Cal McNair. The issue is only Jack Easterby right now because Cal McNair allows Jack Easterby to be an issue. Uh, so the biggest issue and the biggest concern to the Houston Texans organization is Cal McNair. As bad as Bill O'Brien was, as silly as the Jack Easterby thing is, the Cal McNair has been the one constant during all of this uh, allowing this clown show to go on here in Houston. Yeah, and I think Cal, when he looks back on this, and I think, you know, and I think the, the biggest thing that this franchise has failed to do 
and under the O'Brien era, it was take advantage of Deshaun's rookie contract. But I think, right. but the, but I think what drove that and what was underpinned that lack of focus and there was too much change because with the biggest mistake they made when they hired O'Brien is they didn't hire a new GM to come in with them. And those from day one on the same page know what they want to do in terms of building a football team and do it in the same direction. You know, you see it in San Francisco, you've seen it. Well, see, you know, that 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 wouldn't have worked though. Here's why that wouldn't have worked. If you got rid of Rick Smith and brought in somebody for Bill O'Brien, we've already seen that Bill O'Brien would turn on him all the way to the point that he got to become the general manager. I said uh, in 2014 when I talked to a lot of people after Bill O'Brien got hired. A lot of people I, uh, I talked to that knew him and uh, his information, his background and all that, they said, they told me, Bill O'Brien will be successful as a head coach in one condition, if he's able to check his ego. Bill O'Brien is his own worst enemy. So even if when they got rid of Rick Smith, Bill O'Brien, remember the key word that year was alignment. Me and Bill, me and Brian Gain are in complete alignment. The whole team's aligned. We see the same stuff in scouting, what we want to do for, uh, philosophically on the football field. Alignment, alignment. They hammered in so much to tell you how far apart him and Rick Smith were. And then in a year, Brian Gain was gone. Yeah. Once you turn the organization over to fraud, people that just want to accumulate power, move up through the ranks like Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, your organization is 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 in serious trouble and it's a it's a hole you go into that will take years to take yourself out of because now as you mentioned you're already paying Deshaun Watson 40 million a year yes the contract hasn't kicked into that aspect yet but it's already on the books for 40 million dollars a year you don't have the salary flexion to be able to maneuver around like you would have when he was on that rookie contract and you have so many bad contracts, lack of first round and early draft picks, all because of the Bill O'Brien era. And now you're going to double down on that. Even after you move on from Bill O'Brien, you still keep the cancer Jack Easterby in the building. And people might say, well, that's not fair. You can't call him a counselor. Everybody says he's such a great person. Listen, there's one chaplain and character coach in NFL history that I know hired an agent with the objective of moving up through the NFL ranks to try to be uh, overseeing all of football operations. And he successfully did it. And that's Jack Easterby. And you tell me his qualifications because he's a good guy that only works for the Houston Texans with the simplicity that they run this organization with. Yeah, I think it's... Well, you're right. I mean, and I agree with you 100%, Jason. That man is a cancer. We need to get him out of the building as quick as we can. And if Cal fails to do that, he fails everyone that's been ever been connected to this football team because I think, you know, we, we owe it to Deshaun. You know, we we wasted the prime of De, DeAndre Johnson. We wasted the prime of J.G. Watt. But if you waste the prime of Deshaun Watson, that's the biggest sin that I don't think you can never be forgiven for. And if you do that, you're not fit to run a football team. And, you know, everything we've seen is probably suggesting that that's the case. But I think it's funny, isn't it? Because you see those two guys who have basically put their own power and ego ahead of the team. But yet in the public sphere, it's T-E-A-M, you know, it's everything's about the team, the best interest of the team. And uh, and it wasn't really, it was about them, I think. And that's that's the issue. But I think that the... the the hiring of this GM is going to, like you said, Jason, you know, they've put themselves up against the cap after 
Chris Olsen did a great job of balancing it, you know, right. books every year. And they just spent, 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 spent. They're the highest cash outlay team in the NFL this year, probably, you know, you know, within danger of being the top three or four team. But the, the reason why I think the general manager is going to be so important in that appointment is because they're going to have to do more or less. They're going to have to hit on late, late round picks. Um, and they're going to have to find value in free agency and, uh, and undrafted free agents because that's the way they're going to be able to make this roster competitive. If they can do that well, then we've got a chance. But well, not, otherwise, not only that, you also you also ship off some of these big contracts and guys that aren't playing to that level anymore, and you cash in on the desperation of other teams before the trade that tread the excuse me trade deadline to try to go and pursue a title. Like, what would the Pittsburgh Steelers give up? for J.J. Watt to be paired back with T.J. Watt and Derek Watt uh, and an opportunity to have another defender in the box to chase down Lamar Jackson in division or Patrick Mahomes once you get to the playoffs. You add that to a Steelers defense that is playing phenomenal right now with Big Ben back in the fold on the offensive side. Uh, I, I'm selling this off. I'm waiting till I get the best offer before the trade deadline, and I'm getting J.J.'s contract off the books. I'm getting Whitney Merciless contract off the books by trading him before the deadline. And I'm getting Bernardrick McKinney's contract off the books by trading him before the deadline. There's three guys. Yes, they were pivotal points, but you have to get some of those draft picks back and build for the future because this isn't going to be a one-year fix. And I'm getting those guys off the books. It's going to hurt Texans fans to see J.J. Watt uh, be traded. But if you're actually running this like a business and not a, a church picnic after Sunday service with Jack Easterby and Cal McNair, then you have to make the uncomfortable moves, the high risk, high reward, re, high risk, high reward moves, and you have to lay the foundation for the future. And that starts by trading JJ Watt, Whitney Merciless, and Bernardrick McKinney. What do you think you get for JJ? If it's got a first in it, do you just take it and run? Uh, for me. With all three of these guys, it's more about getting the contract off the books. And then secondly, it's about accumulating those draft picks back in return. At this point, I don't know what J.J. Watt's value is league-wide. I mean, look, Charles Aminahue and Whitney Merciless, I believe, are tied with J.J. on the team lead with two sacks. J.J.'s not lighting the world on fire. And he hasn't, in three of the last four years, he hasn't played more than half of the team's game due to injury. All the signs are there to sell now. They actually, they were there when I said three years ago, before all the injuries kept piling up on the back, one on the top of the other. And you could have still got maybe two first-round picks for a J.J. Watt and got that contract off the book well now his value and the return on that investment is going to be a lot less but you still sell it get uh, get all those contracts off the books in merciless watt and uh mckinney you can't pay two inside linebackers as much money as you're paying zach cunningham and bedardic mckinney and then still in dying package have another linebacker be your only inside linebacker in dying package which we saw in week three against the steelers as that was tyrell adams that's another bad look. How do you have the two highest paid inside linebacker and neither one's good enough in pass coverage to be on the field and die? Yeah, I noticed that again on Sunday as well. Terrell Adams coming in. I think, I mean, the, the moment that that uh, Zach signed that contract, that was BMAC's time probably up and it was going to be this year or the last. I'm surprised exactly. they, didn't, they didn't try and move him. But I, th I think it comes back to that other point earlier, Jason, right? That if, if, if we relied on Jack Easterby to make these trades, and I, I don't think these happen, and I, I don't think these guys will, I don't think we'll move these guys easily. And the, the biggest issue that's that's compounded O'Brien's decisions is they continued to buy high, 
and sell low. Yep. Um, you know, if you think of the trade for Tunsil, but then the Clowney and Hopkins trade out, you know, there wasn't, you know, there weren't equitable uh, amounts, go, you know, going to and from the building in terms of, you know, proportionate value. Um, so, because my concern is that because of all these moves made and we're not, you know, we're not in the first and the second round until next year, um, you know, which is double down because we're a get up against the cap. Now we've kind of, we've kind of spent all our resources. If we can't trade these guys, and I agree with you, I think it's the strategy we're going to have to employ. If we can't do that, then this could be a three-year rebuild or a, or a three-year re-evolving of a, of a team to make us, you know, back to a position, even just to be on par with 2019 levels of success. Jack East to be Bill O'Brien and Cal McNair have set the organization back. They have uh, a young franchise quarterback that is under contract for the foreseeable future. Once you have that, everything is easier to put together around it. But you're absolutely right. Uh, they're going to have to try to figure out a way to expedite the process to get back to being a, um, a contender. And right now, they don't have the talent to do so. They don't have the salary cap space. They don't have the draft picks. Bill O'Brien was so underqualified that he completely set the organization back in one year uh, with absolute power. Yeah, and, how did, and I suppose that, you know, that this season, you know, be what it is. And maybe we'll go back to some of that, those 2017 concepts that made Deshaun's successful and, you know, just free the offense up a bit. Because I think that, the biggest issue for for me was, you know, uh, okay, obviously his his reign forever will be remembered for these moves, and he should never have been allowed to do them. And you and you think, you know, Cal deserves a more than a fair share of blame for not stepping in, particularly after a twenty four point lead uh, blown in Kansas City. That should have been it. You know, there's not many coaches that would survive a you know a thirty to zero defeat from Kansas City. You know, back in in uh, twenty fifteen. And then, well, you know, well uh, factor that in. Not not only does that coach not get fired after that, his job title. Remember, they had said the entire year last year that Bill O'Brien wasn't the GM. It was a GM by committee. Their circle of trust, I called it, with Chris Olson, who got kicked out of the circle. Now Bill O'Brien, and uh, it's basically just Jack Easterby now. <laughs> um, but you you take all that into account, and you look at everything that Bill O'Brien did and the way this organization was run, uh, he was so underqualified. And for Cal McNair not to see that, it lets you know that Cal McNair is so far from being ready to run an NFL organization. As you mentioned, he, he, he allowed that Chiefs playoff game to happen, Cal McNair. And then after that, he officially makes Bill O'Brien the general manager. So he actually officially gets the promotion at that point on the back of that. And then after the clowny trade, after the playoff, uh, 20, blowing a 24 lead against the, the Chiefs in the playoffs, you allow him as the owner of the organization to trade your best player, one of the best, maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL, and trade him for pennies on the dollars as he did the year before with Jadavion Clowney. So, yes, Cal McNair, Jack Easterby, both of them are complicit with this with Bill O'Brien, and uh, they shouldn't be in on the decision process. How do you do that without Cal McNair and Jack Easterby? That's the, uh, that's the conundrum right now. Yeah, when, when, and when do you think they make a move and who do you think they hire first? Do they go for the GM first? A move I think they should do um, because we need we need to bring in a young offensive mind to, 
to you know reinvigorate the offense because the talent's there. I think on offense and, and for the most part, I don't think it takes a lot to to get a system that suits Deshaun to make it productive. But the, obviously the question is how do you rebuild the defense? But do you do you think they go for the GM first or do you think they get they get caught up? And you know I think this is potentially a doomsday scenario if Easterby is in Cal's ear recommending that 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 hire. And I I think we we almost take another step back if that's if that's the case. Brother, I think that's anybody's guess right now. Trying to guess what Cal McNair and Jack Easterby is going to do is basically I picture Jack Easterby coming into the office every morning that Bill's gone, giddy that he's finally got his absolute power, sitting down at his desk when he tries to figure out what he's supposed to be doing for the day to help this organization. And he just rubs his what would Jesus do bracelet and randomly throws darts at the board. I mean, there's no way for me to guess what type of move Jack used to be and Cal McNair would make because both of them are bumbling idiots. Yeah, I think so. And I, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because you think, you know, Cal has shown, you know, a negligence towards this team since he took it over from yep. his father and uh, he's just sat back and we're in this position now. So you think if if he allows this to, if, to, to get any worse and he doesn't step in, get rid of Easterby, then and bring a proper GM and, and let them lead the head coaching hire. If it's done, you know, on on its head, then you know that's that's going to be a lot of concern for a lot of people. Um, that, that this team might not be in the right direction because it feels like you know the, the they've they've made so many errors that have just compounded and all the off-field errors have got to a point where they now bled onto the field in a way that you just couldn't hide it anymore. And I, it, it sends you to a bit of despair, I think, doesn't it? In the sense that is that a false dawn? Because a lot of people's reactions to O'Brien getting fired were great, but you know, what's the 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 most important thing is what do we do next? And as you said, I don't think anyone can answer that question right now, and probably won't know fully until they see it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's silly season. Whether Texans organization is right now in franchise history to be almost 20 years in as an organization and for this to be the situation you're in is just mass malpractice by cal mcnair hiring the head coach who would you go after jason was there any names that you go off, do you go after a hot offensive coordinator or do you go do you go to somebody from the college ranks and take the head, head most coach of them, both, Yeah, most of them would be offensive minded. The only college coach, there, there's seven names I tweeted out last night that I would be, uh, and I put them in order the way I would talk to them. Uh, those seven names starting from number one was Greg Roman. And people might say, well, why Greg Roman over Eric Bieniemy? Well, I can go look at Kansas City. And even though Eric Bieniemy did so good with Adrian Peterson in Minnesota and what he's doing with Patrick Mahomes now, we are talking about Patrick Mahomes, uh, the greatest quarterback in the game right now, doing stuff we've never seen before. We're also talking about a Kansas City offense that was top five rated the year before Bieniemy took over and what landed Matt Nagy or Matt Nagy, uh, the head coaching job with the Bears. So I have some concerns there. How much is, is it on Bieniemy? I think he'll do a good job and he's number two on my list. The reason I have Greg Roman number one is because I've watched him go from Alex Smith 
to customizing an offense for Colin Kaepernick that, you know, helped lead the 49ers to a Super Bowl or was part of the cause for them getting to that Super Bowl for they lost to the Ravens. Then I see him go to that said Ravens team and build an offense for Lamar Jackson. And the growth that I've seen in Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and uh, from college coming out to the NFL – has me putting Greg Roman number one for what he's done with the offense for Lamar Jackson, Colin Kaepernick. I know he can construct offense. And right now, the most important thing in the next hire is taking care of your franchise quarterback. That's the most important position of all of football. So that's why six of the seven people I listed are offensive minded. But the number four candidate, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but the number four candidate is the only defensive-minded coach I have on here. Just like Greg Roman, he spent some time with the Houston Texans earlier in his career. Robert Saylor of the 49ers defensive coordinator. Uh, the way the 49ers are constructed, and this was what I like so much about Robert and why he's the one D coordinator I add on the list. The 49ers offense is constructed with Kyle Shanahan basically being the head coach and de facto offensive coordinator. So those guys that would typically be the offensive coordinator on him are what we call run game coordinator or pass game coordinator. So Robert, if he gets the job as the head coach, uh, then he comes over and he brought, probably brings one of those 49ers young guys that's either been the run game or pass game coordinator to come work with Deshaun, set up the offense uh, that, that we know how pro proficient Kyle Shanahan and his father was and what they do offensively. So, uh, and then also you tie that into a GM. Last year when the Cleveland Browns were interviewing different ca candidates, they were talking to the head coach and trying to figure out what GM candidate they liked they wanted to pair with them. And if Kevin Stefanski didn't get that job with the Browns, then it was going to go to Robert and the guy that has experience with him that was a general um general uh general manager candidate highly sought after is Ed Dodds. So you almost got a complete package there. So you get that defensive-minded guy, one of the best in the game right now, coming over from the 49ers and what they're doing on the defense. And even with all the injuries this year, go look and see how that 49ers defense is still producing. So you feel comfortable with him as your head coach, overseeing that defense, brings in those 49ers young guys to be your offensive coordinator, and then you get your GM and Ed Dodds from the Colts, who also goes back to Seattle, and that's where he he, uh, he crosses with Robert there in Seattle. So uh, a lot of it is going to be about partnering the right GM with the right head coach. And I don't think it necessarily matters as much as everybody else is letting it on to be that you hire the GM first or you hire the head coach first. As long as you have this GM, this head coach, and you've got candidates that you like equally, then you can just talk to those guys in the interviews about what GMs they would like to work with. Talk to GMs in interviews, what head coaches, and then when once you find that match, you put them together. Yeah, I think Martin Mayhew as well has done a good job in, the, in that San Francisco front office. You know, there might be a tie in there, but I think it'll be tough to take, you know, a front office guy and a, and a coach from them. I think yeah, I think I mean, the enemy is the big one, right? I think that's the fashionable pick and um, a guy. That's and I always, I always, yeah, but why? Why is he not had a? Why is he been so overlooked to the point you know people are screaming out for him? There must be a reason for that. 
Um, well, the main reason they're screaming out for it is because of all the minority candidates that get passed over. And Eric Bieniemy was such a great candidate, and he didn't get hired. So once you go to reason on it, what you're going to point to is that, hey, he was a minority candidate, didn't get hired, and he's got this, this, and this. And I, I believe that probably factored into the decision. But I also believe that uh, making a decision and who you want to go with, a lot of other things factor into it as well, like, We've seen how many head coaches have failed that came under the Bill Belichick tree. Now, with Andy Reid, he has he's had a lot more success, but Matt Nagy was Eric Bieniemy before Eric Bieniemy, and then he went and got the Bears job. They've got Mr. Trubisky up there, and we really haven't seen anything. But he was that big name everybody had to have. So I understand Eric Bieniemy being at the top of this list, but. The, what I've seen and what I know, and for me, without knowing all the information, the knowns are better than the unknowns, and the knowns with Greg Roman are that I know he can construct an offense for Deshaun Watson, who was by far uh, a better passer than Lamar Jackson coming out, and what he's turned Lamar Jackson into, what Brian Dables turned Josh Allen into, those guys would make me want to interview them and get in front of them because I know they could have something successful for Deshaun Watson and take his career to the next stage. Now, Brian Dayball, I have him farther down the list. I think he's fifth on my list. And it's not because uh, I don't like what he's doing with Josh Allen. I mean, he's completely turned that guy into an MVP candidate like Greg Roman did with Lamar Jackson. My problem is, is that he's got experienced and coached under Nick Saban at Alabama, experienced and coached under uh, Bill Belichick in New England. And a lot of people are like, well, why is that an issue? No, you get a lot of knowledge and a, a lot of great information. But I've seen these Patriots recast and Bama recast. And once they get their opportunity, they try to be Nick Saban. They try to be Bill Belichick. And you don't just become Nick Saban and Big Bill Belichick. And Saban and Belichick aren't the best people person and how they treat with people. I don't want to go that way again. That's why I got Brian Dable farther, farther down is because I don't want – if I'm Houston, Texas, I don't want anybody else from that Belichick tree, even if he's only there for a little bit. I don't want anybody from the Nick Saban tree. Just steer clear of it. If you go college, go Lincoln Riley. The only college coach I would go. No Dabo Sweeney, not at all. That would be a nightmare. And no Josh McDaniels. We Josh McDaniels did in Denver before Bill O'Brien what Bill O'Brien did in Houston. And no, I don't think he's learning grow past it because I see Matt Patricia and every other uh, coach coming out of New England basically do the same thing we've seen since Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell, so on and so on down the line. Yeah, I think you've got to hope that that the plan isn't to go after McDaniels and try and bring Casario back in, because after, I, I mean, and that, that was probably the point, actually, that if Cal didn't realise that that, um, that Easterby was up to the task when the failed botched attempt to tamper him at the, the ring ceremony for the Patriots was so crassly done, that they almost got done for tampering charges. That probably should have been the point that Cal realised this guy's probably not going to be good for this front office. But I tell you what, I bet Dabble Sweeney and uh, and Easterby would get on well uh, talking uh, talking their various uh, snake oils or whatever whatever those type of guys do. I think they'd get on uh, they got on pretty well, I think. But I don't think it'd be good for the football team. Oh, yeah, no, Devil's when he's a college coach. His, his biggest strength is recruiting and then hiring guys that know what to do on the offense and defensive end. You're not getting that recruitment at the NFL level. And Dabble Sweeney's South Carolina, played at Alabama, Southern, 
uh, issues. I don't want to put him <laughs> in today's NFL with grown men because stuff that he would say to college-age kids at Clemson uh, <laughs> would not fly with these NFL players. And, and that would be a recipe for disaster. Same with Josh McDaniels. I know Dabo loves Deshaun and he coached him. There's a lot of other people that can coach Deshaun Watson a lot better than Dabo Swinney. I don't need him just to be the head coach because he's friendly with Deshaun and he coached him in college. Yeah, that's right. And I think we need to hopefully, you know, get used to be out. And I think then we need to be looking at football people. And I think we need to, and I think hopefully with that as well, we can bring football people in that can come and change the mentality of this franchise as well. Because I think we've gone for that smart, tough, dependable bullshit. And actually we've got players that aren't very good, you know, or are pretty average. And I think if we're going to, and you, you touched on it a few times there, Jason, it's all about getting the pieces around Deshaun to make this team better. And if, if we can do that in the next two or three years in a way that makes us competitive, you know, we've got a chance. But but, uh, but his cap numbers are going to start creeping in soon. So um, it's, we're going to be heavily reliant on the draft and we're going to need a GM and a coach to come in and do that. But there's, I think, I don't know about you, Jason, but for every sort of thought of a new dawn and, you know, anticipation and excitement is possibly quelled with the fact that I'm not sure if Cal's going to be able to pull this one off and get it right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair feeling. I mean, at this point, it's just sit back and watch, and you don't know if they're going to surprise you and pull out a success, which I doubt, or you're going to end up watching another train wreck like we watched the last seven years or so. Yeah, that's right. And you think, I mean, the rest of the seasons are right off now, so it's almost like you want to prepare for the draft, but we can't really do that. We've got a lot of mid-round picks, but not a lot else. So um, it should be a new dawn. It should be exciting, but I don't think it is. Um, but, um, but but Jason, thank you very much for your time, mate. I appreciate you coming on and joining us always. A few technical glitches, uh, but I think we got there now. Keep in touch. We'll definitely have a come back on soon. Hopefully, we'll have an idea. And, you know, probably before the end of the season uh, or, or at the end of the season on Black Monday, around those kind of times, um, we'll find out who the, new, the next head coach is if we don't know the GM before. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me on. You take care. Yeah. Always welcome, Jason. Thanks for your time, mate. Always, man. Take care, brother.